Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing about autism spectrum disorder and the dietary therapies and supplements that may help with some of the accompanying gastrointestinal issues and behavioral traits. Oh, that was a mouthful. Uh, But before that, Nicole, I feel like it has been at least three weeks since I've talked with you. We have definitely conversed via text, but what's, what's new in your life? You know, I off air, I just apologize to Gina. I feel like I've just been like hanging on by a thread. Work is stressful. And I was just sharing with her that three people very close to my brother anyway, um, like as in my niece's mother, um, were all, and her parents were, I mean, I'm sure they don't mind. There's no HIPAA around here. Um, we're all diagnosed with COVID and it, it's just kind of been nuts. So while the curve is flattening, it's obviously, you know, we're still living in a Corona world. And I will say we have um, come up with a couple new, like really fun traditions. And I wrote a blog mm-hmm. post about it earlier in the week, but, you know, just things like even though we can't go anywhere or do anything, like coming up with like a weekend schedule. And we have like movie night on Saturdays now, which involves like a kiddo movie with popcorn. And we bought like an air popper. And then we put the kids to bed and we watch a movie. And then the past two weekends, we've made baked donuts on Sunday. And um, so just like some cute little traditions. But yeah, I mean, looking forward to the nicer weather. I feel like it's been just kind of crappy, but fired up the grill tonight, which I have a very important question. I posed it to Instagram as well. But on Mm -hmm your burger do you like mayonnaise I just answered that actually oh, on you your did. Instagram story I did and I do I do like mayonnaise on my burger my it doesn't mean I always put it on my burger but I do if, if someone asked me if I wanted it on my burger you're like hell yeah say yes. <laughs> okay yeah pretty much <laughs> because that's the right answer I mean, about mayonnaise always okay. uh, I you think agree. I mean, I think so. So six, 76% so far have said yes. And my sister-in-law, I joke because, you know, her brother and I have been together since she was very young. And one time I remember we were brainstorming um, like summer jobs. She could have an, one of her prerequisites to finding work was it could not involve mayonnaise. Like she has a passionate hatred <laughs> for mayonnaise, whereas I love it. Um, but other yeah. than posting weird stuff on Instagram about mayonnaise, I've been reading a lot. So I've been staying up way too late. So my two um, that I finished somewhat recently, Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott, which was okay. And then Better Off Without Him by D. Ernst, which was really, really, really good. I don't know why I just really like that book. Um, I think I was complaining about not having a dishwasher the last time we talked. We got a dishwasher and it's bomb. I will say it has a third rack and it has an extended dry cycle. So the dishes are actually dry, like fully, fully dry when I get them out. And it's if it's a lot. I'm sorry if I already talked about this. Um, no. And then one sweet little um, thing. Our office is kind of back to work as of this week. So today is April, end of April. Very, very end of April, early March, mm-hmm. May nearly. And our office is kind of back to work. So we, you know, we've kind of, our, all health systems pretty much have shut down operations, if you will. And the surge in most of the US, we we really didn't see the numbers we were expecting. So now we're kind of reintroducing life as we knew it in the medical sense anyway, because we're seeing a lot of detriments from delaying medical care. Um, So Mm -hmm. our office is back offering in-person appointments. Of course, many people are not 
you know, feeling comfortable with that just yet. So still all the pre- sure. safety precautions in place, but now my time is kind of back and forth between the office and home. So, um, but one little sweet note about um, COVID at our hospital, and I shared it on Facebook and people just loved it. Um, but we're playing Here Comes the Sun uh, by the Beatles every time somebody is discharged from the hospital uh, that I had COVID. That. Yeah. And I know- Even though you said, and I quote, <laughs> I hate the Beatles. Truth. I, I, I How can you hate the Beatles, Nicole? Okay, I don't hate them. I hate Are their you music. American? <laughs> Barely, apparently, based on the backlash from Facebook. Um, I'm just not a fan of their music. I'm sorry. I, oh, I'm just man. not. But that that is the perfect song for it. It really is. And um, yeah, so it just kind of like brought tears to my eye. You know, I think we're all on this oh, kind yeah. of emotional roller coaster. And um, so when I'm at the hospital tomorrow doing my COVID shift, I'm sure I well, I hope to hear it played anyway. So yeah. I, I get teary-eyed whenever I hear any of the stories about COVID mm-hmm. on the news. Did you hear oh, like, the terrible story about the doctor in New York City who committed suicide yesterday? I didn't. I mean, not to bring up, I mean, make this podcast a downer, but it was probably one of the worst stories I'd heard. Like, it's one thing to lose a friend or a coworker or mm-hmm. a family member from COVID, but this was an indirect death from COVID because she was so distraught by all the death she was seeing around her. I just... And and sadly, it's probably not going to be the first nor the last. Um, so yeah, that was that was a terrible story. Yeah, the mental uh, health around all of this is yeah. it's just so hard to know the the other you know the the trickle effects of all that's going on. It's I don't know. It's it's a lot to think about. I don't know. Have you been sleeping okay through all this? Well, I was going to talk about that, but real quick, it's funny when Nick and I when this whole thing first started, I asked Nick. I said. I said, do you think that we're going to know anyone who gets COVID? And at the time we were kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Now the, the, you know, the more time that goes by, I'm thinking for sure we'll know at least one person who gets it. But I will tell you thus far, I have not, there's no one in my family, none of my friends, none of my coworkers that I'm aware of who have it. Doesn't mean they don't. I mean, for all I know, I have it. Mm -hmm. And that's what they keep saying on the news. Like you could present with zero um, you know, uh, side effects or show any signs of even having it. Uh, but I, I've, I've yet to know of anyone who's tested positive. Anyway, uh, just this is a random thing. So our previous, do you ever like go for runs or you're in the middle of something random and you think, oh crap, I should have talked about that on the podcast yesterday. Oh, totally. Put- All the okay. time. Okay. So this happened to me. I was on a run. This was a few weeks ago. After we had already aired our episode on postpartum, like living life, and I completely forgot to talk about the after you have your first child and then it gets worse after that, progressively worse, you when you breastfeed for the first time and then it actually helps kind of, um, it, it, it causes you to have contractions and kind of helps to shrink your uterus back to size. So one of the benefits of breastfeeding is that it kind of helps um, speed up that process of bringing your uterus back to size. So you're basically having contractions again every time you breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Oh, do I ever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was bad when I had Paige, but but bearable. Then I had Cameron, and literally, I can remember just being in tears. I mean, the nurse would bring him to me, and I was like shaking. I was so afraid to to nurse him because I knew the pain that was coming. I actually am such a wimp. I actually ended up having to get medicated for it, like just Advil. But it was so bad. So, and then then I remember the nurse saying, well, don't have a third one because it gets worse with every child. <laughs> like, so I'm like, okay, sounds good. Snip, snip, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Appointment made. 
No, so, yeah, those, that is so true, though. It's uh, it's a unique feeling. It's hard to describe, really. It, but it really was like having contractions again. Sitting, mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would definitely put it up like very close to that that pain, but of, like a lower contraction. It really was mm-hmm. more like a. I felt like it was a contraction, like in my uterus versus. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Lower, I, yes, I would agree. Because your uterus like isn't like at your bra line anymore, right? Like it's. <laughs> True. <laughs> it's been evacuated in all, of a lot. It. So yeah. yes, yes, it's more like a really, really, really bad uh, menstrual cramp. Mm-hmm. So anyway, okay. Another you asked about my sleep. Um, so if you haven't been listening to our podcast, I did give a little bit of a, um, a kind of a rundown on previous episodes about how I've noticed that right before I ovulate, and then again right before my period, I am literally wired like I basically like I'm on crack. Like I am just so awake. I cannot sleep. I don't drink coffee during this time because I know if I do, it'll just make it worse. And I'm just sick of it. I couldn't take it anymore. So sometimes even melatonin wouldn't help when that always helps me fall asleep if I need it. So I finally went to my doctor. He decided he tested my thyroid. It was low. So I went on thyroid medicine. I had read that, you know, taking thyroid, um, if you, once you kind of eat out your your thyroid hormone, it might actually help with serotonin levels. So I gave it a couple months. It's still happening. So I finally decided to take the Lexapro that my doctor uh, prescribed me on a very, very low dose of Lexapro, hoping that it will kind of even out my serotonin. I don't feel any different. You know, I don't, I don't, 10 milligrams is super small dose. I'm really just hoping that it just prevents my plummet right before I ovulate and right before my period so I can actually sleep. So if it doesn't help, I'm going to give it a couple months. If it doesn't help, I'm probably going to go off of it. But he pretty much told me that it's pretty much a guarantee that it will help me sleep. So that's good. I'm, uh, I'll am i definitely uh, follow up on that in a couple months and let you know how that's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, so this was something that happened to us about a, mm, three weeks ago. We got invited to a, you know, I'm sure you've been to one before or two. We've been to a few already. Kind of like a drive-through party where it's someone's birthday. It's, you know, it's stay-at-home order. So we'll all drive through with signs and wish the person happy birthday. Well, this was in a parking lot because our friend, Nick's friend, our friend, owns a a bar and his wife had planned the surprise 40th birthday party for him where we're all going to meet in the parking lot. She said over and over again, stay in your cars, just make signs, do not get out of your cars. So Nick and I pull up to this party probably like five minutes late. He wasn't there yet. Everyone is out of their cars, like throwing the football, just hanging out like it's nothing. And I was like, Nick, we are not going in here. He's like, you can't, you can't do this. You can't, you can't act like, you know, like we, we can't, we, they've already seen us. We can't drive away now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? Like, I do not want to be a part of this. So anyway, he convinced me to just, you know, loosen up basically and get out of the car and just stay away from people, even though it was virtually impossible um, within about I would say 45 minutes that we were surrounded by apartment building. Someone came out and took a picture of us and reported us to the police, which I was like, thank God. Um, and the police came and busted us. So yeah, oh, that wow. was a, a good story to, to tell the, the kids that they were a part of because they were there too. <laughs> you rebels. I, I know. I know. I was, it was just, it was, you know, it was nice to see all of our friends, but I was not, I was a little bit disappointed when mm-hmm. I saw that. I was a lot disappointed, but whatever. I, I grabbed a beer and, that was good. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got. Uh, are we ready to announce our giveaway winner? We are. And I, I screenshotted it to you, Gina. So our um, 
Our giveaway of the new intuitive eating book goes to random number generator 59, which happens to be the um, reviewer by the name of Mary Lynn S. And should I read her review or do we already read it? You know what? I think it's one that we're going to read in the, the, we don't need to read it. Okay, we won't read it. She's coming up. She'll be on another episode, but yeah. We'll save it. So Mary Lynn, come forward, uh, reach out, DM us at Dietitian's Dish Podcast so we can get that off to you. Congratulations. Thank you for your awesome five-star review. And if you have not done so already, please be sure to head on over to iTunes and drop us a quick review. It takes just a moment and it really helps people find our podcast, especially as they are not listening as much and commuting. They're not commuting, so they're not listening. So during this time, help a sister out, throw us a review. I only just started kind of getting back into my podcast listening groove. So I get it. I get it. All right. Well, yes. Thank you, Mary Lynn. And for everyone else who has left a review on our um, on iTunes, we really, really appreciate it. It's a great book. She'll love it. Yes, I agree. All right. So let's dive in. Uh, we're going to talk about autism spectrum disorder. I'm actually going to use the um, acronym ASD so I don't have to keep saying autism spectrum disorder. So when I say ASD, that is what I'm referring to. Uh, so autism spectrum disorder is a developmental disorder that affects communication and behavior and affects one in 59 children in the United States, along with other challenges that children and adults with autism face. Nutrition challenges are prevalent as many with ASD have food sensitivities, gastrointestinal issues, and repetitive behaviors that might stymie their growth and development. April was Autism Awareness Month, so we thought it would be the perfect time, albeit a little bit late, uh, to speak to Maureen Garrity, a friend and colleague of mine whose knowledge of ASD and the accompanying GI disorders and possible alternative supplements and therapies is extensive. Dr. Garrity was my professor in grad school, and she taught the course on supplements and alternative medicine that got me so interested in this area of nutrition science. Yes, I'm a huge nerd in that way. Um, I love supplements. I love to hate them. She still lectures regularly for three different departments at Ohio State University. And in order to respect social distancing and because she is recovering from a a bad cough, which she told me was not COVID, uh, we decided to do the interview via email rather than in person. So she wasn't able to talk without coughing. Um, Today, I will have Nicole read the questions and I will do my best to relay the answers that Dr. Garrity provided. Uh, Maureen, uh, Dr. Garrity also provided some really good links and possible further readings if this interview makes you want to learn more on this topic. So basically, she sent me like five pages of information that I kind of had to condense into really more readable, understandable for the lay public explanation um, uh, recap, I I would say. I'm going to refer to the reference as much as possible. So if you are in the sciencey mood or interested in some further reading, I've got all of her references in our show notes and they're numbered in order of where we talk about them in the um, in this episode. Uh, so it should be very clear uh, which science paper or research paper you want to go to, depending on what I'm talking about. And I will, again, also kind of try to to let you know which research paper to look at, depending on the topic I'm talking about. Also, she said, if any of our listeners have specific questions, uh, you got, you can relay that to me and then I will ask her and and hopefully she'll be able to answer that question. Okay, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the interview. All right, Gina. Um, tell us a bit about Maureen's background and, and what she's doing right now. Sure. 
So she, oh my gosh, like I said, she is just brilliant. She's one of the smartest people I know. Uh, I just, I love her so much. So she got her Bachelor of Science in Dietetics and Nutrition from the University of Dayton. Uh, a diet, she did her dietetic internship at the Methodist Hospital of Indianapolis. She held a position for four years as a clinical dietitian at the Miami Valley Hospital in Dayton. And her focus was on gastroenterology, nutrition support, critical care, cancer, and diabetes. Then she went back to get her master's in science and medical dietetics at OSU with the emphasis on nutrition support and critical care. Then she held a position for 11 years at Abbott Nutrition, which you might have heard at, heard of in the news. Um, President Trump talked about Abbott because I want to say they came up with like the five minute uh, uh, COVID-19 test um, that is out there now. So they're a big, big company. She did nutrition science and clinical research there. Then she got her PhD in human nutrition at OSU with an emphasis on molecular cell biology, which was my least favorite class, but also extremely interesting. Uh, she held a position for four years as an assistant professor in medical dietetics at Ohio State, was part of a lot of papers, still is part of a lot of research papers. And then she has a current position in the private industry for the last 10 years as a section manager of a medical department. So yeah, she's amazing. You have a total crush on her. I mean, professionally. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. I do too, listening to that <laughs> CV. Um, so kind of before we discuss complementary and alternative medicine, which you and I probably call CAM most often, mm-hmm. C-A-M, mm-hmm. Um, and autism spectrum disorder specifically, can you define what CAM or com- complementary and alternative medicine is? Or sure. In Maureen's words, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this was good. So she says that when talking about CAM, it's important to include three other definitions as well. And I, I thought this was really um, interesting. So complementary and alternative medicine or CAM is the term for medical products and practices that are not part of standard medical care. And then she goes into detail here. So what is standard medical care? Well, that is medicine that is practiced by health professionals who hold an MD or medical doctor or DO, doctor of osteopathy degree. It is also... Um, practiced by other health professionals, such as physical therapists, physician's assistants, psychologists, and registered nurses. It can also be called biomedicine, Western mainstream, orthodox, or regular medicine. Okay, so that's the standard medical care. Then there's complementary medicine, and it's treatments that are used along with standard medical treatments, but are not considered to be standard treatments. So one example is using acupuncture to help lessen the side effects of cancer treatments. So then there's alternative medicine. And it's treatments that are used instead of medical treatments or standard medical treatments. So one example of that is using a special diet to treat cancer instead of anti-cancer drugs that are prescribed by an oncologist. And then there's integrative medicine. And it's a total approach to medical care that combines standard medicine with CAM or complementary alternative medicine practices. And it has to be shown safe and effective and they treat the patient's mind, body, and spirit. And she says that takeaway buzzwords here are safe and effective. She um, was real big on on the, the use of those words during that class I took of hers in graduate school, um, making sure that whenever you take a supplement to verify that it is safe and effective. And 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 how do you do that? And she gave us all the, I'll actually kind of get into that a little bit at the end here. And I just a note, but I I see it, you know, in our in our organization, even um, which is a, a 
pretty good size health in a um, healthcare organization, but you'll see different practices that use these types of words, like an integrated integrative practice. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's probably the most common one, but yeah, you will see those. So now that you, yeah. our listeners probably heard them um, here, it, you'll, it'll stick out. Um, yeah. So with regards to autism spectrum disorder, what are some of the common behaviors that are associated with ASD and what are the purported causes? Sure. So there are three hallmark core behaviors in ASD. So the first one is communication or the inability to express oneself fully. The second one is actually one that I never heard of, Nicole. It's called stereotypy. Have you ever heard of this? Mm-mm. I never heard it called this, but I've heard of, of these behaviors. So stereotypy meaning restricted, repetitive behaviors such as rhythmic coordination, purposeless, fixed, and non-functional patterns of movement. So some examples might be flapping of the hands, spinning, rocking back and forth. Uh, Some stereotyping involves ritualistic behaviors like lining up objects or repeatedly touching objects. And you've probably all heard of this before. I just never knew it was called stereotyping. And then there's social reciprocity issues, um, which relates to unable, being unable to be, to relate to people socially. Uh, So it's theorized or purported that the following three things play a role in these hallmark behaviors. The first one being gastrointestinal symptoms, second one, nutrient deficiencies, and then the third is metabolic abnormalities. And we're going to discuss each of these in the following questions. Hmm. I'm learning stuff. Yeah. I love it. What about (laughs) what types of gastrointestinal symptoms specifically are associated with ASD? Sure. So we'll talk about the why. And this is where I kind of had to rearrange some of the questions because mm-hmm. there was just so much information here from Dr. Garrity. Because like, like I said, she's a wealth of knowledge, but I wanted to keep it kind of simple. So we'll talk about the why children with ASD have GI symptoms and how to possibly improve them in the next question. But for now, so the, there's gastrointestinal symptoms, symptoms that are related to ASD. And these are all from references three to five if you are interested in looking at our show notes, if you want more information. So the incidence of these GI symptoms does, they varies by study. Um, so studies show it can affect 30 to up to 70% of people with ASD. The most common symptoms being chronic constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, and gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD. Um, so here's how these symptoms can actually affect children with ASD. So think about the fact that they are oftentimes, not always, but often nonverbal and unable to express discomfort that they have from GI pain. Um, so that can affect them. I mean, think about when your kid was, um, you know, wasn't talking and they were trying to uh, relay something to you, but they couldn't because they just couldn't talk and how frustrated they would get. Um, usually you could tell, I mean, even if they were in pain when they couldn't talk, you, it it was hard. It was hard for them. It was hard for you. But a lot of kids who have ASD are, are, they're like that for a longer time than what is, you know, typical. Um, they may react to pain differently. So their sensory stimuli may be different and they cannot communicate that they are in pain or they over communicate the pain. Uh, also self-stimulation. So children with ASD often flap their hands or rock back and forth or other movements. Uh, So the idea here being that the GI symptoms can lead to more of these behaviors. Um, So they're trying to communicate their pain. So they're using these types of motions. um, And I guess that's stereotypy. Also temper tantrums. So children with ASD, again, it goes back to not being able to express themselves. So it's common for them to have tantrums when they're in pain, especially GI pain. 
Uh, so again, the, the idea being if you lessen the GI pain, they might have less temper tantrums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, yeah. So in a previous talk of Dr. Garrity's in one of your classes, she spoke a little bit about research indicating a certain microbe that may be more indicative of ASD. Can Did she talk a bit about that? And similarly, what's the research uh, with regard to probiotics and ASD? Mm-hmm. So it's actually a certain microbiome. Just wanted to point oh, that I'm out. Oh, I'm sorry. Not I'm, a big deal. I mean, just, yeah. So that, I That's a big difference. When I said, mic- <laughs> I said micro. Yeah, it's okay. Oops. It's all right. Um, so I remember, here's the thing. I asked her this question and she, I feel like I, I can remember her specifically saying that there is research that is being done to determine whether a specific, it, it, a specific microbiome might be more indicative of autism spectrum, spectrum disorder. She didn't, I, I, when she answered the question, I guess I, I still am not, I think really what the bottom line is, is there's still a lot of research being done on this. I mean, there's still a lot of research being done on probiotics and microbiome biome period. Um, so I think with relating that to ASD, there's just a, so much opportunity for research out there. So she, I don't think she was really quite able to answer this question the first part, uh, at least not that I saw, but as far as research with regards to probiotics and kind of ameliorating those GI symptoms for kids with ASD, she did have some good information there. So um, what is she? GI symptoms are a factor that are likely affecting dietary intake and nutritional status. So, I mean, think about when you have chronic constipation or diarrhea or any stomach upset, it's going to affect the food that you take in, right? So that's how it is definitely going to affect children with ASD. So the theory is that their GI symptoms may be related to increased intestinal permeability. So that might be why they have a lot of these GI systems. So what does intestinal permeability mean? It's basically the material that passes, or if you have intestinal permeability, it's when the material that shouldn't pass the gastrointestinal lining does pass. You might've actually heard this called leaky gut syndrome. uh, And and it's purported that uh, a lot of and I can't give you a specific number. I hate to say a lot because that's not very specific, but that um, some kids with ASD do have higher intestinal permeability. Uh, so that kind of exacerbates their GI issues. So research has also shown that the intestinal microflora is altered in children with autism compared to age match typical control. So basically what that's saying is that if you take you know a three-year-old with autism spectrum disorder and um, compared their microflora or their microbiome with a a three year old without autism spectrum disorder, the one with autism has lower beneficial bacteria or good bacteria that we talked about in our previous um, podcast, and more of the pathogenic bacteria or potentially bad bacteria compared to the one without autism. So research is still very new and in its infancy when it comes to probiotics and ASD and actually probiotics in general. Um, But at this time, here is the advice that Maureen um, shared with me. She says, if you want to give your child probiotics, I recommend you avoid concentrated supplements and instead give your child a probiotic yogurt, which I love that, especially Mm -hmm. as a dietitian, because we always promote food over supplements when we can. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's what we were talking about in our probiotic episode. Stick with getting your probiotics from food. Uh, and, unless, you know, there is, you know, there are some research papers out there that actually support the use of certain supplements and certain strains for specific conditions. 
But she's saying in, in this case, she recommends just avoiding the concentrated supplements and instead giving your child a probiotic yogurt, you know, until there's more research. Uh, she does say, though, check the label for the probiotic digestion. In other words, make sure the yogurt has some probiotics and hopefully lactobacillus, because that's the one that a lot of kids with ASD are lower in, that beneficial lactobacillus. Uh, if you are intent on giving probiotic supplements, make sure to check the label for the amount of viable microorganisms in the supplement. The number should be in the billions, she says. Finally, if you don't see a clear improvement in just a few weeks, stop using it. In other words, if there's no clear benefit, don't risk potentially negative side effects or wasting your money. And of course, make all changes with the help of your healthcare team. She then provided a beneficial link here from Autism Speaks by Dr. Fasanos. His comp, I don't know who he is, but he must be someone big in the autism world. But he had comments on probiotics and autism. And I put that link in our show notes if you want to read more. Yeah. I love that. It aligns nicely what we what we recommended just a couple episodes ago. Exactly. Um, all right, Maureen, um, can you speak about the research on diets uh, such as gluten or casein-free for those with ASD? Sure. And this is one I was really curious about because I've, I've heard this before. Um, so beyond probiotics, there has been research on using a gluten-free and casein-free diet to help ameliorate the GI, GI symptoms associated with ASD and therefore improve associated behavior. So here's a quick rundown of the four influential studies on the gluten-free, casein-free diet. And these are all, I'm, I'm really going to do a very quick rundown. These are all found in the show notes, I believe, uh, numbers six through nine, if you're interested. So the one was the Nivsberg study. It was the first to demonstrate improvement in autistic traits and behaviors using a gluten-free, casein-free diet. Uh, so some of the behaviors that were improved were um, the social interaction, communication, and imaginative skills. The issue with that study, though, was that it was a small number number of participants, and really the results, I guess, were inconclusive. However, many families started to follow the diet after this, probably because they saw, you know, a sh just even a shred of positive, um, like you know, behavior uh, improvement. It would probably make anyone think, okay, well, it's worth a shot, right? Um, so I, I, I think that was the first one that really kind of showed some improvement and people really just latched on to that. Uh, another one, which is uh, reference number seven, found no benefit to the children with ASD with the gluten-free, casein-free diet. Then there was Willward et al., which was a Cochrane Reviews. And it really concluded that there's just more research needed. There needs to be more large-scale, high-quality, randomized control studies um, in order to actually start recommending a gluten-free, casein-free diet for children with autism. So yeah, bottom line is there's just not enough research, once again, and uh, to do that. And, and she also made some good points here about the gluten-free diet, casein-free diet. Not only is there not that much research to support the use of it, but it's difficult for parents to follow extra cost of the food, you know, specialized food, gluten-free, casein-free. And if you don't know, casein is the protein found in milk. I probably should point that out. So I think most of us know what gluten-free is. It's a protein found in wheat, barley, and rye. Casein is a protein found in dairy or milk products. Uh, and it's very prevalent in our food supply. So it's definitely a specialized diet when you're taking out casein and gluten. And then really just extra time for preparation. I mean, especially unless you're deciding to make your entire kitchen gluten-free and casein-free, 
it's it's going to take extra time for, for preparation of those foods. Now, granted, my guess is that they don't worry too much about cross contact with these types of um, diets. It's really just you don't want to get a large amount of these foods, but still it's going to take some extra time. Uh, also nutritionally impractical. I think this was a good thing that she pointed out. So, you know, children with autism spectrum disorder already have compromised um, palatability. I think I pronounced that right. That's how you say it, right? Palatability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, they're, they tend to be choosier eaters. Uh, and, and a lot of times these foods, think of the last time you had a gluten-free piece of bread, if you ever have, they're just not as palatable as a typical piece of bread. Um, also they're not fortified as regular breads and cereals are. And a lot of those B vitamins are important for children with autism because they tend to be lower and the, they themselves tend to have those nutrient deficiencies. So it's good for them to get foods that are enriched, but when you're following a gluten-free diet, you don't tend to get those fortified and enriched foods. Uh, oh, and she also says that children with autism already have diets that are deficient in calcium, vitamin D and vitamin K. And she says that's for reasons unknown. I, I think maybe that kind of goes back to the the idea that they are um, choosier eaters, maybe. Um, so putting them on a on a casein free diet is just going to make that even worse. It's going to exacerbate that issue. Let's see. She also mentioned that children with autism spectrum disorder may have reduced bone cortical thickness, which is the dense outer surface of bone that forms a protective layer around the internal cavity. <laughs> In case you were wondering, therefore taking dairy out of their diet might not be a good idea. And, you know, we're dietitians. We know this. Like you, it's not like, you know, dairy foods are the only way you can get your calcium, vitamin D and vitamin K. But if you are already have a child that tends to be a choosier eater, you're going to have to work really hard to make sure those getting, they're getting their, those nutrients in other ways. If you are going to take out that entire food group. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about a patient I worked with today that was drinking 12 cups of whole milk every day. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Did he realize, what was, did he think that that was right or that he, that that was okay? So kind of the ironic part, and this is just a, sorry, I shouldn't have said anything getting us off track. But at the end, he started asking about a renal diet and the phosphorus and potassium. And I just, I thought, he's like, well, I can't eat citrus fruit. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like you're drinking 12 cups of milk a day. (laughs) Do you think milk oh doesn't my have gosh. Phosphorus? phosphorus? Yeah, phosphorus. Potassium? Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. So anyway. Boy. Um, okay. <laughs> uh it was it was cute. But yeah, that's that's interesting. Um I'm I'm learning everything today. Um all right. So what about some common nutrient deficiencies in children with autism spectrum disorder and are supplements therefore recommended? Yeah, so this is where things got a little bit dicey in what she gave me, but I'm gonna try to lay it out how how I read it. So we've already discussed the GI symptoms. Now let's talk about nutrient deficiency. So if you remember at the beginning, she talked about how there were three purported causes of the behaviors of children with autism spectrum disorder. One of them was GI, one of them was nutrient deficiencies, and then one of them was, I can't even, I can't even remember, but it doesn't matter. I'll talk about that next. So we're talking about the nutrient deficiencies now. Like I said, you can read more details uh, to any of these answers if you look at the resources in the show notes, but the one that I'm going to talk about right now is specific to resource number 11. And if you want a copy of that, I think I just put the link in there to what the uh, research paper was, but if you want an actual copy, you can email me uh, and I can send that to you because I think 
I don't think the PDF is available if you click on it, but she she actually sent me a copy of the PDF. So nutrient deficiencies might include B6 and magnesium. So the theory around the nutrient deficiencies of vitamin, vitamin B6 and magnesium is that the core behaviors such as social communica- communication and stereotypy improve with supplementation. The mechanism or the reasoning still is being determined once again, um, but it's also described a bit in the article that I was just talking to you about, reference number 11. So if you're interested. Um, but one big study and a newer study, and when I say newer, this is from 2006, but she count, she called this a newer study. Uh, it, it said that supplementation with magnesium and B6 improved autism spectrum disorder behaviors by about 60%, which is quite a lot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at all the studies that, uh, that use supplementation of a multivitamin uh, or B6 and magnesium concluded that an age-appropriate multivitamin with B6 and magnesium is effective at ameliorating deficiencies versus individually um, supplementing these nutrients. Uh, So she doesn't have on there that it's effective at ameliorating the behaviors, but the research does sort of show that. So I feel like if I wanted to start somewhere, this is probably where I would start. The, in the article or in the research, they used about six milligrams of magnesium per kilogram of body weight for the uh, child. Um, but this is definitely something that if you're interested in showing it to your dietitian that you work with or your doctor or both, uh, might be something worth looking at in addition to, you know, starting your child on maybe a yogurt a day or, you know, some kombucha or another good source of, of probiotics. Uh, and there's also more in reference number 14 through 15 on that. So then there's also B12 and folic acid, which could also be two nutrient deficiencies. And she says that this is really complex. (laughs) So she says this does back, this goes back to the theory that there are three things that may affect behavior with autism. Oh, here we go. Metabolic pathway theory. That was the third one. So GI nutrient deficiencies and then metabolic pathway. And that's this one. To put it simply, some of the metabolic pathways involving folic acid and B12, remember that? Learning about that, Nicole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're they're complex. So some of those pathways in the body seem to perform differently in some kids with autism, as indicated in research by markers of oxidative stress. It is thought that the oxidative stress may be responsible for some of the core behaviors. It's also thought that some kids with autism have a single nucleotide polymorphism, or an SNP, or a genetic anomaly in the folate cycle. There's much more work, again, that needs to be done in this area. But for now, assuring adequate amounts in the diet is recommended. Uh, If you're interested, oh, again, that goes back to that reference number 11 that I was talking to you about. She said there's more information if you're interested about those cycles on page 126. Uh, Again, I can send that to you if you'd like. Simply email us or, you know, slide into my DMs or our (laughs) Dietitian's Dish podcast DMs and I will send that to you. Okay. And then there's also fatty acids. So about one of four, so 25% of parents give omega-3 fatty acids generally in the form of EPA and DHA which is found in fish or fish oil. So one in four parents give these omega-3s to their children with autism. Studies show essential fatty acids may be of benefit in the management of common neurodevelopmental conditions such as dyslexia, dyspraxia, and ADHD. 
And there's a similar rationale that exists for fatty acid treatment in autism spectrum disorder. Again, the mechanism or reason for this is really unknown. Uh, Early studies involving ASD and fish oil were thought to improve social reciprocity or stereotypy, but more recent studies are really inconclusive. So the key takeaway here is if a parent does want to try fish oils with their children, it's best that they consult their physician and RD. As we've been saying throughout this entire thing, I think that's probably important regardless of what you decide to do. Uh, And that's because, for example, for this, for fish oil, high levels of fish oils in children can lead to blood blood thinning or bleeding. So I think just the bottom line here, um, there's there's considerations for nutrients, um, taking a multivitamin, especially one that's got a good source of magnesium and B6. There's considerations for omega-3 and considerations for probiotics. Uh, out of all the things that we've learned today. I think the one thing that probably isn't worth your time, unless you talk to a dietitian or a doctor who disagrees, is the gluten-free, casein-free diet. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so overall, and the most updated recommendation regarding multivitamin and other supplements is that supplementation in children with ASD must be closely monitored. Like I just said, Indiscriminate supplementation can lead to excess supplementation and overdoses. So if you're considering a multivitamin or fish oil or any supplements, probiotics, whatever it is, you must always talk to your doctor or dietitian to verify that it's necessary. And again, here come the buzzwords, safe and efficacious. Yeah. Amen. Um, so Dr. Garrity is obviously a wealth of information. Um knowledgeable on supplements, any specific brands that she likes to recommend, or what would she suggest to our listeners um, to look for as as far as third-party verification and, you know, helping to ensure safety and efficacy? Yeah. So Dr. Garrity says she can make no recommendations. Uh, Mm -hmm. The parent will work with the MD and the RD on their team to determine if supplements are necessary, efficacious, and safe. Smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) If it is deemed appropriate, she says, third-party verification of supplements such as USP and NSF. Those are the big ones that we learned about in in class. And you'll see those um, icons or those um, logos right on the the container of whatever supplement you're purchasing. Um, But those can support the purity of the supplement. But a healthcare professional can help determine if it's efficacious and safe. So if it's actually going to work or if it's even worth purchasing and trying with your child and if it's safe for them specifically and personally. Also, I did put a couple websites on our show notes, notes such as the natural database consumer.com and consumerlab.com. Some of them, I think one of them has a fee, but if you're really interested, it's it's not very expensive and very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. So where can listeners learn more? Any reputable websites or a place to go where they can find reputable reputable healthcare providers who know a bit more about complementary and alternative nutrition along with autism spectrum disorder? Yeah. So she says that she checked out Autism Speaks website recently, and they've been doing a great job of keeping up with the latest research regarding nutrition, supplements, and ASD. Also, they have a place on their site that I realize it's called the Autism Response Team, where you can click and be assisted in finding a healthcare provider in your area who specializes in ASD. So I think that would be helpful rather than just talking to any doctor or any dietitian, you know, working with a, um, a team that actually works together and specializes in that. 
Uh, oh, and also she did tell me, so obviously there's all those resources like I've been saying the whole time in the show notes if you want some further reading. And if you have a specific question, I'm more than happy to relay that, that to Dr. Garrity. She's very responsive. Love it. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I was in, so in, intrigued by what she had to tell me in class, you know, several years ago, many, many years ago. <laughs> um, I, heard I was her like several, you time. sound so young, Gina. <laughs> Just a few years ago. Just a pinch, you know. pinch of years ago. <laughs> Um, but I heard her talk again not too long ago, and it just she's just amazing. So hopefully you learned some things. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's dive in now to our favorite recipes or new products or mom wins. Okay. So what is I, this? <laughs> I'm laughing just okay. So you know the internet is just full of all the funnies lately. Um and actually, I saw a woman at work. She was wearing a hat. She's like, girl, I cannot take this hat off. These roots are out of control. Um, so it's just kind of funny. Some of us who are are maybe used to doing some um, hair removal or something with our, our hair. So I usually get my eyebrows waxed. Um, I just okay. do. And um, that hasn't been an option. And I have blonde hair, as you know, and our, our listeners may know. And so I can get away with quite a bit of... Um, unruliness is in terms of my eyebrows, but it was just getting ridiculous. And I, the thought of waxing my eyebrows myself just doesn't seem wise. No. Um, so I started doing some research and I found an epilator on, I was going to say Facebook, on Amazon. And they have one that's a little bit bigger that you can use for like, I call it like facial peach fuzz kind of stuff, which doesn't okay. normally like bother me, but I was like, Meh, why not? And then I bought a smaller one that is used for my eyebrows and it doesn't hurt at all. So okay. it's just kind of, it's almost like an electric razor, but it's, I would say geared more towards like fine hair. Like you, you wouldn't go at like your coarse, like leg hair or like your bikini line or anything like that. Like this is meant okay. for just like facial stuff, but it worked really, really well. And it was like 11 bucks. So I'm going to, oh. I'll link it in the show notes, but yeah, okay. doesn't hurt Great. $11 available on Amazon helps with the, the facial hair um, maintenance. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I just shaved my face. Really? Now, I don't, I, obviously, if I, I wouldn't shave my eyebrows, but I do shave my face. Yes. You know how when you get older, you start to get peach fuzz? I just shave it. Someone yeah. told me about that a while ago. And I'm like, that's kind of brilliant. It also kind of exfoliates a little bit as well when you're doing that. Okay. I, th I think you should try an epilator. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. okay. Maybe I will. I'll, I'll have to check it out when you post it. It's work. Yeah, I, I'm a fan. And it has like a little battery. So one has a battery, like a AAA or something that you throw in there. And the other mm -hmm. one is rechargeable. And they have like cute little cases. I don't know. It's I feel like I don't I don't know. COVID has us doing some very creative things with it's maintenance, true. right? I mean, it's so true. Uh, I what need about to get my you? hair relaxed again? It's so bad. I get my hair relaxed. I'm like my frizzy, like nasty hairs are growing in. It's terrible. You're so funny. Um, <laughs> okay, so I made, I've been making a lot of great things, despite what Nick said on our last episode. <laughs> I made slow cooker salmon with beer, and I typed out the recipe in our show notes, so you've got to try it. But I also found a similar recipe that I posted by myfoodandfamily.com, but it was super simple. I just put a couple salmon fillets and some vegetables and a bottle of beer in the slow cooker, and it was divine. Huh. So you got to try it out. Okay. 
Right, so let's move on to a review. This is from Rachel, mom of twins. I love listening to Gina and Nicole's show. They cover a range of topics and I always learn something new. Even when they're discussing heavier topics, they make the conversation feel light and accessible for the audience. I find their show to be comforting and fun and it's always a treat to listen to a new episode. Thank you, Rachel. I wonder what the heavier conversations she's referring to. Like, maybe uh, like eating maybe, disorders. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We haven't done a heavy one in a while though, have we? Hmm. You were a we need to one. bring on the heavy. Bring on the heavy. I mean, bring talking about heavy. autism is, I mean, that could be a sensitive true. topic, I think. That's um, true. Not yeah. that we took it there today. I think we kept it pretty nutritionally rooted, but yeah, yeah such an awesome review. Thanks. Yeah, that was. All right. So coming up on May 17th, we interview our moms. Get excited to hear their stories about what it was like raising us and how they think we turned out. <laughs> Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. And please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds and you don't even have to write anything. Just fill out the stars. Okay, until next time, everyone and Nicole, be well. And of course, stay safe. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, Gina. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.